Kia ora, kia ora ana, and welcome to the Touch Project podcast. This is episode 10. Today we catch up with quite literally a legend. Uh, this dude really doesn't need an intro. Mr. Tony Trad joins us to talk footy on the podcast. Traddy, a Hall of Famer, retired from coaching uh, the Australian Open men's after the 2019 uh, World Cup in KL, a successful campaign nonetheless. And in this episode, man, there's literally very few stones we leave unturned. So I'm not even going to ruin it for you. Get comfortable, enjoy this one. We catch up with one of the greatest. This is Mr. Tony Trad. Enjoy. My friend Treddy's on the phone. Treddy, what's up, brother? How are you? Hey, Paddy. How are you doing, my friend? All good in the hood over there in Australia. You're doing well. I know you guys aren't on, on like the full-on lockdown, but you're still doing your best to sort of self-isolate and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, mate. Yeah, close enough. I've got the family home. Son's working out of home. Uh, daughter's out of school. School holiday here at the moment, so I'm getting out and playing as much golf as I can just to get yeah. away from the family. Weird times at the moment, eh? Are you sort of adapting well mentally? And, and how the, how's the family coping with uh, more FaceTime with each other? Yeah, well, it's no different to me. My son's 21 and my daughter's 15. They spend 90% of their time in their room on their devices, yeah. so I wouldn't even know their home. So, uh, and my wife and I are catching up on just about every next Netflix series you can imagine. Oh, so, nice. uh, yeah, it's not too bad, mate, but it is what it is. You know, there's some people over the world. New York at the moment's crazy and Italy and Spain, so... Over time, you look around at your family and just know how lucky you got it, Pat. Yeah, yeah, no, I preach it, brother. I'm with you. Hey, let's uh, let's wind the clock back, Traddy. When when was your first, I guess, encounter with the game of touch footy? Way back when? Oh, geez, mate, way back. I was a young kid. I think I was about uh, sixteen or seventeen, and I was playing rugby league down in the um, Canberra Bankstown district, the Bulldogs, and. Um, Gentleman by the name of Ray Farrow, God rest his soul, he's, um, he was coaching Canterbury touch football and just asked myself and a few of the boys we'd like to have a run. And, and so we did. And that's uh, when we fell in love with the game. And was was touch it from that point on? I mean, just in, I guess indulge me in a bit of a bit of a background. You, you certainly don't need a, uh, you know an introduction, I guess, in terms of what you've been able to achieve. We all know the the, the resume pretty well. But uh, what what was it about touch that you fell in love with? Yeah, no, that was it to answer your question. Um, I think it was just the social aspect as well as the, the thing about touch. Um, you've got such a social aspect to it and you can play with all your friends and family and, and mates and stuff, but you also, there's a serious side to it. Mm. So I like, I enjoyed both of that. I like, I like what it was about. I played league at the time as well, but I just sort of kind of like touch, you know, just as much. And I, yeah, when I joined the police force when I was very young, about 19 or 18 and a half, so didn't get a chance to play league, but yeah, just fell in touch with love after. Uh, sorry, fell in love with touch after that. Mm. Was it uh, how sort of uh, how far into your I guess playing touch did you did you realise? Hey, actually, I don't mind. I don't mind the coaching aspect to this as well, and I reckon I'm going to make a good go at this. Oh, uh, mate, no, I fell into coaching. Um, I did my ACL. Uh, I think I was about probably 20, 21, somewhere like twenty two, and um, played on on a half a half a. You know, ligament, and then eventually it finally went. So whilst I was out of playing, and, and you know, to be honest, um, I wasn't a very good touch player. You know, <laughs> I'd like, uh, you know, my resume is very, very short in relation to on-field yeah. achievement. Um, but you know, there you go. Good coaches don't necessarily make good players, and, and vice versa. Yeah. So, Paddy, I was only, I was just injured and had the reconstruction, the twelve-month rehab back then, in and um, early nineties. And Mick McDonald, who was um, and still is the president of West Touch, um, asked whether I'd 
experienced it in coaching their mixed team. And I think that was uh, 1993, I think it was. So I said, yeah, why not? You know, I was a frustrated coach, that's frustrated player trying to be a coach. Mm. But um, that's where it all started. I guess uh, you get to live vicariously through other players in terms of what you're hoping to achieve as a, as yeah. a player when you're a coach. Oh, yeah. I think back about myself as a coach in 1993 and so on, and I think, oh, my God, how do I ever survive? Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> you reckon Craig Bellamy could do a blow-up? He's got nothing <laughs> on me back then. It's, it was. I guess we can get into into your coaching style a little bit later on, but I guess... Um, you know, when when you think back, because it's been a you, you know you, you gave it a good hone, you know, quite a bit, quite a bit of a, a bit of a lag at the top there, uh, my friend. So, firstly, how emotional was the decision? I guess for you to to call it a day. Um, I sort of knew. I I almost called it a day after twenty fifteen. To be honest with you, I think the way that ended, the, you know, um, was probably a little bit of a fairy tale ending. But then I just felt there was a bit of a, a transition needed to happen. The whole mm. was in good stead. Just right at that moment, I didn't want it to be a bit like the Australian cricket team when Lily and Chapel and all of them left and Alan Bordel was left holding the bag. So I've just decided to go another another cycle while we got blooded someone ready to go who we have Phil Dymore right now. So probably by twenty by by the time it finished, um, I was ready, you know. Mm. So it was emotional. It's always emotional practice is such a big part of your life. Yeah. You know? There's this big hole that you've got to fill. So that that return was emotional, but you got a job to do, so you just do it. Were you were you pretty, I guess, transparent with Touch Football Australia that look, I'll give it another go, but this next four year period is about succession. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. We, you know, when I first became an Australian coach, which was way back in two thousand, um, your general lifespan was four to eight years, so you went through one cycle, and sometimes if you're lucky, two. Um, Touch Football Australia have always been very good to me. You know, we've always had a lot of discussions and ongoing discussions. And so coming up to that period, um, they never once at any stage ever said, it's time to go or, yeah. you know, you're holding anybody back or anything like that. So they always left the ball in my court. They trusted they trusted me that I was going to do the right thing by the program and the sport and the country. And, um, and the feeling was mutual. So, yeah, we were always talking, mate. So they sort of knew where we were heading and were planning well before the, mm. the World Cup. How uh, how instrumental, I guess, are the coaches uh, in terms of the Opens uh, teams in uh, the direction of the, the Pathways program at a TFA level? Uh, do you guys have quite a big say in sort of how that um, program is, is kind of created from the grassroots up? Or No, no, absolutely. So we, you know, as Opens coaches, so you have your men's, women's and your mixed. And basically we're, um, we're, we're, we're chartered with responsibility of, of running the program the whole program so you know the mixed coach would run the mixed program right not just from opens but down to the, the 19th and 17th mm. and the men's would do the same and the women's would do the same and then in the latter years when I was a senior coach I oversaw the whole of the program um, but we all worked together the thing about us is you know it was never like you know well Tony Trader's the men's coach and so he's that or, or, yeah. or Swain Revelli's the women's coach and Tony's the men's but Mick Lovett is the mixed coach so he answers the them. It was never all about that. It, it's always been that we're Australian coaches and Peter Bell was there um, as well, who, who was just a legend of the game. So we're always co-coaches mm. looking after a program. And so um, we've been given a lot of autonomy and a lot of responsibility. That's one good thing about Touch Football Australia. You know, their opinion is that, well, if, if we trust you enough to give you a position as an Australian coach, then we should trust you enough to run the program yeah. with, with, 
you know, good ethics and morals, and that's what it's about. Let's go back to that initial appointment back in 2000. Did you say it was? When? Did, how did that happen? Did you apply? Did you get a phone call, shoulder tap? How did the appointment happen? <laughs> well, actually, what happened there was there's a story behind that. So they, the Tuttle Australia, working out of Canberra at the time, advertised to men's and, and mixed opens coaches. So I remember putting in my application. I think they had a closing date, so I put it in well before then. I put it in a day or two before then. But um, at the time, I was coaching New South Wales men's opens and previously to that, New South Wales mixed opens. Mm. So anyway, long story short, I got an email saying that they couldn't consider my application because um, they'd received it after the deadline. So I blew up because I was still in the blowing up in those days. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, they, they... Explained to me that it takes three days for the mail to get from Sydney oh, to no. Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I missed out on an interview for the men. I didn't get an interview. They, they didn't accept my application. But oh. then um, they, they did contact me and ask me whether I'd like to be considered for mix. So I said, oh, yeah, and um, went in for an interview, and the rest is history. Yeah. It's interesting, eh, because, you know, having a look at obviously everything that you've accomplished, and as I said at the beginning, that's all very well documented, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a touchy, and, and, you, and you know the resume, but I'm keen to know some of the things that we don't know uh, about your uh, your journey in the coaching sort of realm with Australia. What are the things that you're really proud of that uh, maybe aren't on Wikipedia? Uh, <laughs> I haven't looked up Wikipedia. I'm, I'm too scared to do that. Um, oh, mate, I think... You know, I understand that people feel sometimes I've got an aura about me, all that kind of stuff. But mm. but my friends that know me really well will just laugh their heads off at that because behind the scenes, I'm a 52 year old man in about an 18 year old's mentality. <laughs> so I'm very much I'm very much into some of the practical jokes and um, stitch ups and and things like that. Mm. So um, I guess the old you can't judge a book by its cover. I'll probably pretty much say that would apply to me. But you know, the people that are in the in the inner sanctum get to see that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, mate, it's been a long journey. I think I'm proud of um, the changing of the culture, Pat. So when, when I took out, I took out the men's in 2004, I was, I was actually really, really young to be doing a lot of that stuff. Um, when I first started coaching New South Wales, for example, I was only, I was only 27. Um, and looking back now, way, you know, right, you know, wrong bloke or right bloke at the wrong time. I was mm. way too young to be coaching at those levels. So I learned a lot as the journey went on. Uh, by 2004, though, it was all about changing the culture yeah. within that inner sanctum. So when I look back now, uh, some 20 years, I think if I'm going to be proud of anything, it's the ability along with Kathy Gray, Peter Bills, and, and then Tara Steele and Wayne Grant when they came on later on, to change the culture of touch football in Australia. You know, to we, we, we had an ethos that's country team individual. And if, if, if you don't, into that, you just don't get a look at. It's never ever been about how good a player you are. That's not actually what we look at. It's not what we select. Um, you know, if you can play touch football, that's great. But it's more about how a person you are yeah. and how um, selfless. So the ability to really change that culture um, to be country team individual is probably one of the. I think that's probably one of my proudest things. You know, um, as I say to people, you know, like it, it, it's riddled with tough decisions, but tough decisions you've got to make and if you want long term sustainability, you know. Um, and tough decisions are always unpopular. Yeah. Otherwise, everybody would do them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They wouldn't be tough. I managed, obviously, I don't know if you had a bit of a nosy, but I managed to catch up with uh, with uh, your captain or, your, you know, captain whilst you were the coach, old Goody, and, and we sort of... Um, 
you know, had a bit of a yarn about, you know, his career and, and some of the things that he experienced. And he speaks very highly of you, so you can flick him that 50 bucks a little bit later on. Um, <laughs> Mate, he owes me 50. I played golf with him two days ago and kicked his ass. So he owes me 50. Nice. He mentioned that uh, some of the uh, unorthodox ways that you would, uh, you know, apply some of your uh, coaching techniques. You mentioned, I think, it was a yoga session or something in prep for KL uh, in 19. So, uh, you know, what, what's the what's the thought mechanisms behind some of those uh, strange ways well, of getting the lesson across, my friend? Well, firstly, I'm the, I'm the yoga lesson. Now, listen, people like Nick, Nick Good, I don't know what he's got or what he's got out there, but he, he has to be in control of everything, right? He has to know everything. He has to be in control of everything. Peter Norman, he's like a bloodhound. If he gets a sip of something, he'll 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 Google, he'll investigate. You know, these guys, they have, they're teachers. I don't know what's happening to the youth in our country <laughs> because these guys aren't actually spending time teaching the kids. <laughs> so if anyone's the first to know anything, and very better for those two. So, uh, mate, I found, I found this place. It was a Bikram yoga. Yeah. So um, I'm not one for flexibility or yoga, (laughs) but I found it. And and having been to Malaysia for the Junior World Cup, I got a good idea about what it was going to be like and the heat and all that kind of stuff. And so I wanted the players to experience that. And we we have camps, and they're coming down to camp. And normally I give them an itinerary, and I'll I'll, I'll get the leadership group involved. And I'll say, look, what do you think about this? I want to do this. These are the outcomes I want. This mm. is how we're going to go about it. And I'll give them little cheat sheets of the name and everything. And that way they're all on top of what we're going to do and have input. Well, on this occasion, there was no cheat sheets, no itinerary. So, of course, Mr. Control Freak, Nick Good, where's the cheat sheet? Where is this? Don't worry about it. Peter yeah. Norman, mate, what, what, I'm flying in from the Gold Coast. What do I need to bring? Just bring this. Yeah. So they didn't like that, mate. They just thought they were <laughs> like on a roller coaster with no seatbelts. So, uh, yeah, we got him into the Bikram Yoga and it was fun and it was hot as and, and then as everyone's laughing and the instructor comes out and, you know, it's all giggles. And then within 15 minutes when they could hardly breathe, the giggles disappeared and they were putting in and then the, the stress came in. And really, Pat, that was all about um, not just getting them to understand what they're going to experience in Malaysia, but I was going around the room and asking them questions. So we do a doctor on players. So I'll, I'll come up and I'll say, you know, I might say, really great. I'll go into somebody's in there. He's got the ball here in this situation. What do you, what's your read? What's he going to do? What's his favourite play? Mm. Getting him to think um, touch football under the fatigue of what they'll be put through physically, plus also the heat and and that, getting him to think under pressure. And that's all part of the decision-making skills that we work on and stress and just, yeah, getting him to do something a little bit different. Yeah. So that was the, um, that was the speak from yoga. And he just pissed off. He didn't know what was going. On. Well, I mean, he he he, uh, he said it at the end of the day it sort of worked. He's talking about a, a shack cookie, and and uh, and that absolutely happened uh, in the game. Yeah. So I mean, it all worked out in the, for the better, I suppose. You must know what you're doing, there, Chatty. <laughs> I hope so, mate. Yeah, man. It's about you know the saying. You know, I I'm a cricket buffer. Back in the days when the West Indies were, were great, and the great Viv Richards he used to field a backward square leg, and I, I saw an interview with him once where. Every time the ball runs in, he would have already imagined every shot that might come to backward square leg and how he would attack it. Mm. So he, when the shot finally came, whether it was in the air for a catch or on the ground for a run out, he's already seen it 15, 20, 20 times in that day, you know, let alone every test match. So when it happens, he, he's ready to react. So it's a similar process, you know. I'm, 
taking them through different plays, different players from New Zealand, what their favourite plays are, what to expect. Under pressure, hopefully they visualise that. And it's just a different way to do it other than just on video. Yeah. You know? So it's just a different way to mentally visualise it rather than just see it on video. And then if you see it on video, you mentally visualise it. Sometimes we get players with similar skill sets to line up against them and run those plays. Mm. You know, you've seen it five, six, seven times before it actually happens. You're comfortable when it happens. That's the theory anyway. Bank, I guess, Bank, when you were coaching, uh, Treddy, you only get a, a very small window, I guess, with your team before uh, a campaign. Um, you know, obviously, you might roll out your team camps and whatnot. How do you make sure, you know, you utilise that entire uh, window wisely? I mean, having such a short amount of time with everybody, uh, everything obviously needs to be as per the plan. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll plan. Mate. We plan meticulously. You know, it's like... Um I like to use a lot of analogies when I coach and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, one of my favourite ones is you've got a ship and it might have seven holes in it. You, you just can't, you don't have the time to plug up all seven. Mm. So just plug, plug up the big ones first, you know, and then worry about the others while, you, while you're sailing. So I'll look at what we need in a camp specifically. What's our objective? What, what do we need right now? What's our main objectives and how do we get there? And, and we get there before we move on. Um, so that's the only way you can use your, your time wisely. See, sometimes, Pat, sometimes coaches will have 10 things they want to get done right and they're mindful of the time. And so they're, they're still on maybe objective number two mm. because they can't quite get it right. But they're very mindful. They've got another eight objectives. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll just say, okay, look, at two o'clock, leave it for now, let's move on. They'll let objective three. And you end up having maybe seven out of 10 done and out of those seven, you know, six of them are done at thirty percent or forty percent. Well, you've really got nothing done. You know, you're yeah. best off saying, right, I've only got two objectives for this weekend, and, I'll, and we need them done a hundred percent. And they're the big holes in the ship. Mm. Now, if I've got time to plug another one, beautiful. And then innovation, mate. So if you, you know, you, we've got so many tools, and I'm certainly no, not an IT guru at all. In fact, podcast is still new to me. Yeah. Um, so, mate, you know, you, you put stuff on Google Drive, video, comments, you know, things like that, um, WhatsApp communication. So the more that you can do, I guess it's like what's happening at the moment with the coronavirus, people are realising they can actually, they can yeah. work at home. But we can coach from home, you know, um, without actually via correspondence without actually physically being at a camp. Mm. And then the camp is about polishing it off, just dotting the I's and crossing the T's and most of the heavy lifting has already been done prior to getting me. So I guess the key to all that is communication. Yeah. Be very clear about what you want. I guess that um, that almost answers my next question. Innovation and comms is probably the answer to this. But uh, in terms of of your of your squads when you're coaching Australia, everyone's scattered around the place. Um, you know how how hard was it? I guess to to keep on top of everyone's sort of physical prep. And the, and I tell you what motivated this question was something that um, that Nick Good said in our conversation. He, he said something along the lines of um, you know uh, Aussie men, Aussie Aussie Open men's aren't known for their you know. A brutal physiques in terms of six packs and whatnot, maybe with the exception of Hennessy. Uh, and, he, and he just mentioned, yeah. um, you know, that sort of comment. And I just wondered, um, is there, a, is there, a, what's the mentality behind that from a coach's perspective? Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to work smarter, not harder. That's that's the key. And so, um, well, I, I think the first thing is when you're we're an Australian men's player, you understand that there are probably a hundred or more players that want your spot, like a hundred percent. And there's ten of them sitting in the mix. 
that that are that are really hoping they can get that spot. So the competition and competitiveness drives you to want to train. We encourage people to get in a pod, meaning you know, like um, you know, maybe four players live within ten kilometres of each other. They meet at a park and they run a program and they film it and they send it. And so there comes the competitiveness. But the key is we we're competitive in everything we do, mm. so that. The north, the north pod will be ripping it into the south pod. Some well, we did this, you know, and the east pod will be saying, "Well, you know, well we did this." And the west pod will say, "Well, you know, well we're out here in the west, we're at hard times and we're working hard. You guys are in the east drinking lattes. We've done three times as much as you." And the banter really, um, really encourages people to to push harder, to push harder. But we aren't known to be like it's not necessarily about being super fit. Peter Norman is probably the most chiselled player in our team. Um, he very rarely does he even wear a shirt, so we know every <laughs> inch of his probably six pack. But yeah, Nick Nick Good would be ashamed to take his shirt off and a few of them. Dylan Hennessy's got a dad bod. Yeah. So and he's had a he's had a dad bod at twenty two. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we're gonna be doing any touchable Australia calendars yeah. very soon. <laughs> but um but you know what, mate? We we work really hard. We, we get fit enough, let's put it that way. We do enough hard work to be to be in the ball game and then I believe that it's won and lost really in the decision-making skills. You know, be, be, you can be fast on your feet, but nothing compares to the speed between your ears. And if you've got that right, then it just becomes nearly about technique, technique in the rough, technique with your, your skills, and not necessarily about fitness. Mm. Um, if you're not fit enough to compete this level, you wouldn't even get a look in the door. Yeah. What do you look for? Like, what is it? What is it that that catches your eye when you're when you're sitting there with your selectors and and you're looking at you know like, as you say a hundred hundred guys competing for a spot? What are you looking for? What catches your eye? Well, yeah, the first thing is attitude. No dickhead. We just I don't know if I can say that. If I just didn't, no. we just we just can't allow ego getting so if someone scores a try and it's a ripper and it's a, it's a beautiful footwork with a dive and they walk back with a strut and they let the opposition know all about it it's like yeah okay man, well, I'm not you're not really for us yeah you know what I mean um, so I, I look at character and, and attitude um, I look at decision making and composure right they are the they are the priority things that I look for you know and then I look for um, dedication to a specific role so for example, if you talk about because you brought Nick Good up, um, when Nick came into the team, he was very, very young. I think he might have been 17 or 18, I think in 2010. But I remember watching him in the junior track tavern, and so while everybody was scoring tries and strutting, you know, it was like an NBA freaking dunkathon. Mm. You know, everybody was just smoke up sessions and all this kind of stuff. Well, Nick was different. Nick was happy to defend. Nick was the bloke that was looking to get the team around the park and get the strike dumps down. And yeah. so I thought, well, the bloke that can throw the passes and dive a dime a dump, I can go. I can go to the market and get them cheap. You know, you know the laws of supply and demand. But here's this kid. He's one different. He's a kid that isn't looking to take a three point shot. He just wants to get LeBron James in a position and then give him the ball at the right time. Mm. That's the kid I want. So I look for that kind of filter. So the kid or the player that has a role and owns it. You know, and he's proud of it, and not necessarily the, the the role that will get him on the front page of the newspaper. They're the ones that you want, you know. So I'll look at attitude, character. I'll look at ownership of their role, you know, and and willingness to do it consistently. And then I'll have a look at you know skill sets and speed and stuff like that. And your time is you got to sorry go. I was just saying you just got to have an ingredient. That you just can't pick all these great players and go this will be a great thing. You've got to have 
you get the salad has to have its lettuce and its tomatoes and its onions and you know what I mean. You, you know you got to dress it properly. You can't just throw everything in there and say this will work. I like it. I'm just uh, curious. In your time as at the helm, you would have seen some some Kiwi players that you've uh, put teams up against and thought, "Geez, if I could steal you and you'd be an Aussie for a day, you're yeah. at." Uh, go, yeah. Run us yeah. through the list. There's got to be a few. Oh man, look, there are. I don't want to. I don't want to upset anybody. <laughs> now, don't worry Mate. about. It. I've made a career of upsetting people, Treddy. You can do it on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, look, there's been a few, but look, there's been a couple that I, that will stand out for me. So Ed Burrell would have been a guy that would have made my Australian team in the middle. Um, for all the reasons I just said, nothing flashy, just a good leader, big engine, good machine, got the ball down, worked hard, you know, and led not necessarily in the way of what he said, but the way in what he did, mm. you know. Um, I was a big fan of Ruamai, Ruamai on the wing. Um, his longevity for New Zealand speaks volumes. I think he even played a series not long ago at Link. Um, so the Rat would have definitely made uh, my team, mm. uh, I think, on the wing for sure. In fact, I said this to him the other day, this is just digressing a little bit. So everybody knows the passive, everyone uses the passive now, right? Um, and if you want to mark how good of a player is, is their ability to change the game. So when we talk about Hennessy or Drummy or, or Mitter Graham, they're affecting you know, Peter Walters, the way they change the game. Mm. Well, Un- unknowingly, unwittingly, the rat has changed the game because when we played New Zealand in 2013 and we lost that series, um, we hit the, you know, Kane had come out of the, that right knee hard trying to channel, so we rip an early ball to Link and then Rat had knock it off. And then we throw a long ball to Wing and Rat had go out and it was pissing me off. <laughs> so I'm thinking, this guy's reading off this, is he reading, what's he doing? And so that's the first time I saw a winger, what we call now floating, like a floating winger. He wouldn't yeah. hit. You know, so you can bomb. So I spent the off-season, for want of a better word, leading into 2014, trying to work out how do I beat Rat? How do I beat Rat on that right wing? So that's when I came up with the Pappy, where I just said, okay, what I want to do, I'm just going to drop my link six, seven yards back. So Kane's going to get beat by the ball. Whoever the right link was was going to get beat on the channel because we're pushing the channel back. Mm. And then I'm going to catch Rat in a two-on-one. And then I'm not going to try and score on him there. I'm going to try and score on him with a two-on-one pass. And from his skill and his, you know, ability in 2013, I came up with the passive and now that's part of the modern game. So he actually was the catalyst for the passive. So he's changed the game nice. in, his, in his ability to defend. So he can, remind if you're listening, you can walk around and take that claim, mate. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> he'd make my team, mate. He'd, he'd definitely be there. And, of course, I, I, um, no, it is world class. And I'll tell you who I do like though, Pat. Mm. Um, he's a cheeky little he's a cheeky little bastard. So I love him because he's competitive, he's cutting edge, he doesn't cross the line, he's close to it, but he doesn't cross the line. And when the whistle goes, he's always respectful and that's Shaq's name. Mm. I think uh, I think Shaq's a kid I could really work with, you know. Um, he reminds me of a little little Anthony Ziardi cross drummy. If drummy and Ziardi had a love child it'd be Shaq's name. <laughs> There's a, there's a mental picture we don't need for the podcast. That yeah, sorry about that, mate. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to get Peter Mack on on the podcast and have a yarn about um, that Super Trans series. What I mean, a foreign feeling, I guess, uh, for you and your time. Uh, you know, going down to, to the Kiwis in a, in a series. What was the what was the the, the thoughts in your head going at, at, at that time when the final whistle's gone and you know it was all over? Um, obviously, probably a few swear words back in the in the changing room, but. What, <laughs> How did you approach 
you know, the future after that series? Well, I think it was, it wasn't a surprise to me or to many of the guys that have been around. You've got to remember, if you go back and look at it, sure, there's been times where, you know, people remember the times that we're white hot, lost Mudgy and, and, and I think Mudgy maybe 2012, um, World Cup 2015. But, mate, we've had some absolute battles with New Zealand where we got over the line just when it was there to win or lose, we, we won it. We found a way to win it or they found a way to lose it. It's never been one-sided. It's just been, if you look at the table or you look at the winning you know, in black and white, oh, Australia dominated. We never dominated. Mm. You know, they, they've really come at us since, since Pete Mack's been on the scene, now that you mention him, um, and now Raul is there. They've come a long, long way. And I thought they were coming for us in 2013, and, and we didn't work hard enough. The players didn't work hard enough. I think we took a little bit for granted. Um, coming out of the 2011 World Cup and then 2012 in Mudgee, I think is when we, we really towed them up. I just think that they thought it was just going to happen. We thought it was going to happen. So them getting up over the line, um, they got us in the first two test matches and we, we won the third, but they won the series. Um, it was no surprise. And they'd been coming for a long time, mate. But it was the best thing that could have happened to us. Because yeah. success, breeds, success breeds selfishness and complacency. So we were able to go back with our title between our legs and so that'll never happen again. Mm. You know, Not that they won't ever beat us again, but we'll never, ever not work hard enough again. If, if we don't win, it's not because we didn't work hard enough. Yeah. So from that moment on, we really dug deep and went to a whole other level in relation to our preparation and probably the big thing is accountability. Yeah, we're, we're holding ourselves accountable to everything. Lots of people always say, "Oh, you know, we've got to close the gap between Australia and New Zealand. We've got to close that gap." Is there a gap? What is the? What do you no. think it is? No, there's no gap. There's no gap. I, I don't believe there's a gap. Um, as I said, since about twenty, to probably two thousand nine, ten. Yeah, I think it's been. We've been lucky. You've got to understand. Okay, we we we've had drummy. Now, Drummy is world class. If Drummy plays for New Zealand, New Zealand probably win some of those series, mm. right? And then Dylan Hennessy is generational, right? You know, so if Dylan Hennessy, although Dylan Hennessy didn't play, I think in, in twenty fourteen, I think it might have been, and we won that series. Uh, I think it was twenty four, maybe it might have been a bit later actually. Then um, we won that series, but we had to change the way we played. But he's generational. I don't think it's a gap. I just think, um, with all due respect we've probably just had a better culture. We've just had a better understanding of the game um, and and how to respect the game, respect the opposition and what it took to win, what sacrifices he had to make. And we worked harder on winning moments, decision-making. Like I said with the Bikram Yoga, most of the stuff when the moments are there, we've already been there. Yeah. We've already worked on that. Um, but having said that, I, I do believe in the last four years, New Zealand has taken giant steps, like I mean giant steps in relation to that exact point. And so I, I don't see it as a gap. I just think that leading up to the probably the last four years, we worked on specific things a little bit better, a little bit smarter, you know, and now they've caught up. You know, I think I think uh, Raul's done some great things with that team. Mitter's an outstanding leader and he's really developed. I'm not overly close with Mitter, but you can just see from afar how much he's grown as a leader of men. Mm. You know, and I can tell because of the attitude of some of the players, especially the young kids, you know, there's a lot more respect, a lot less cockiness, a lot more substance and a lot less show. You know what I mean? They're the hallmarks that they're on the right track now. 
the the we've spoken a bit about you know the evolution, I guess, of the game over the last wee while. How do you think you evolved as a coach during your time at, at the top with Australia, not only with the men's but mixed and just in general? How do you think your uh, you, how would you describe your evolution as a coach? Oh, well, I think I've come on leaps and bounds over the years. As I said, I, I had a lot of success early, and then I had a lot of failure. And um, there are times when you're at the top and you're a little a lot like that guy from Lord of the Rings, Solomon, or whatever his name is, you know, with his ring, my precious, my precious, everybody, you're looking over your shoulder, who's coming for my job, it's my job, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, eventually you get older and wiser, you come to terms and you realise that it's not about you, mm. you know, it's a, and it's about the players, you know. Um, it's not about coaching to win tournaments, it's about, it's about coaching to, to get the best out of the players and if you get the best out of them as people, you know, you'll get the best out of them as players. And then if you've got the best out of those people and the best out of those players, there's a good chance you win a few tournaments along the way. Yeah. And one will lead to the other. So it's very process-driven. And, you know, you know, the outcomes are process-driven. As soon as you focus on the outcomes, you stop focusing on the process. So you just stick to that. Stay humble. Um, and you develop because you've got to be a sharer. Okay? You can't. One thing I've done is um, I've got some pretty smart players um, over my time, Stevie Roberts, Jason Stanton, Phil Hennessy, Nick Good, Scott Buckley. So for me, when we get together as an Australian team, I want to share all my ideas and theories and philosophies and things this. And no, they don't get a lot of that, but they go, oh, this is great, this is awesome, and they chew it up and they eat it up. Then they'll add to it, and then I'll be playing and maybe at our local affiliates, which is, I think, your modules, um, and then I'll see something that's up, up against my team. So I'll be playing Penrith, for example, and Nick Good and Scott Buckley from Penrith, and they're playing West, which is a local derby, and then they'll do one of my plays with a little bit of added finesse to it, and they'll score, and I think you little bastard. <laughs> and so that's really good. You know, so they've taken something and developed it, so I then have to look at what they did and develop it again, and then that's how you evolve. Yeah. You know? That's how you evolve on the field, um, and then getting to know players and, and understanding that some players like a rev-up, some players can't handle a rev-up, they like to arm around them. And you get to evolve and you grow and you get to know the individual players, what makes them tick and how you get the best out of them as a team. But mm. I think sharing is one thing. And as the great Graham Lowe says, you've got to love your players. You just have to love the players. You can't expect them to follow you and teach them to be good people if you don't genuinely love them, mm. if you don't genuinely care about them. Because I'll see right through that. In terms of, uh, I had uh, Jamie O'Connor on from uh, TFA a while back and, and we talked about some of the, I guess the, the the issues campaigns. I guess that TFA have been a part of the Pride uh, Parade, the uh, the Indigenous series, a part of All Star Weekend. Um, just curious as to as to sort of your uh, your take on on issues based um, you know campaigns within within the sport. Uh, I, I noticed the uh, the All Abilities um, uh, campaign they rolled out with that Indomie thing around NTLs that that looked really cool. And yeah, well, the All Abilities was magnificent. Um, I was coaching best at the regional national touch league. We had our own our own team there, and um, made it the all abilities is it just gives you perspective. It just reminds you why you were coaching, why you coach, especially when you're at that top level. And you know, um, when you win at that top level, like say you win you win against Australia, you win for Australia, for example. You know, it's 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 a lot more relief than it is exuberant. Yeah, it's like you know. But when you watch the all abilities, it's all exuberance, it's all joy, it's the ability to participate and you just it just makes you feel warm and, and happy inside. So they, it's a wonderful program. Um, and they came and made a tunnel for us. It was fantastic. Yeah. Unbelievable. 
just unbelievable. So it gives you perspective and it's quite humbling. And as far as the, all the other programs, I just think that is representative of where our sport globally is now, in Australia, in New Zealand, that we are now a snapshot of the community of society and, and all the factors that come in, racial, you know, um, indigenous, you know, um, the, the Gay Pride March. Well, isn't that what the community is? Mm. So I think if Touch is still has that ability to be elite at the high end, but still be in touch with the grassroots and the people in the community, not lose, not detach itself from the community and society, then we're in a really good place. So for me, all those wonderful projects just shows you how inclusive we are. Yeah. How inclusive our sport is right around the world and, and we're not don't have our head up our backside and think we're all that and we're off on a whole new professional tangent. No, we are a game for everyone. We are a game for everyone. So I love it, mate. I'm proud of it. When did you get it really, really wrong? What was the call that you got really wrong and you and you had to check yourself and think, oh, uh, on the field, because there's stuff off the field that I probably can't talk about. On the <laughs> no, we, we don't want to get you. We don't want to get you indicted on anything, mate. Just, just uh, strictly, strictly speaking. Uh, there are some stories I could tell. Oh, mate, you get a lot wrong. You know, we are going to a specific one, specific, you know, time, or one player. Because I don't think that would be fair on on myself or the individual or the moment. Because you know, when you're saying you've got it wrong, you're taking away from the fact that maybe somebody else got it right. The yeah. opposition got it right. You know, but I will say this, you know, you can't be great without risk, mm. without courage and risk. You know, you, you, you know, if there's any coaches out there, you got to, you know, you've got to, if you're planned and you're prepared and then trust your gut, you know, you, you, you got to do that. If, if you don't, you, well, what you're doing is you're coaching not to lose. And, you know, there's no point coaching not to lose. Perhaps, mm. You know, you've got to go out there and try and win. And sometimes you, you've got to make big calls and that takes courage and that, and that has a lot of risk to it, right? That's, mm. that's the way it is. So you got to do it, mate. So I think I'd encourage anybody, and I've done it plenty of times. I've made big calls on a selection or I've made big calls on a play or a moment or a rotation of a player. Don't put him on, put him on. And sometimes you come up trumps and other times you, you, know, you come up with opposite mm. trumps is... Well, yeah, Trump's a swear bit at the moment around the world. Uh, Treddy, we can't say Trump. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's <laughs> Oh, that guy. Not the um, just a few more, bro, because I've I've had you for a while, no but uh, I'm pretty keen to know what's the what's the best piece of advice that that uh, someone's given you that's really helped you just as a coach. Mate, the best piece of advice, you know, uh, when I when I started coaching, um, was that I had a lot of success early, and then went for a real lean patch. And one guy uh, grabbed me and said, "Look, mate, you know, and, and it's about making decisions and you know, picking players or don't pick players, and all that. But things are pointing, and paranoia sets in." And, he said to me, mate, just be true to yourself. Mm. That's it. Just be true to yourself. So when, when you when you put your head down at night, if you know that you've weighed up everything and you feel that's the best position or the best decision for the team and not you as an individual, then you've done the right thing and back yourself. Mm. And, and that's the key. So I think that, that was that was um, very important to me. That's held me in good stead. When I look to make these good decisions or tough decisions, and I know they're going to be unpopular. I just think about it. Have I done the right thing? It was written up. This is what's best for the team. And it's not best for maybe the individual, even for me, but it's the best for the team. So that would be one. And, and the other one, mate, was, again, um, Graham Lowe did an interview on a New Zealand radio station, which I play all the time now, or Sir Graham Lowe. And I played all the time now, especially on running coaching courses. 
Um, and he just talks about community coaching, and it's actually no difference between community coaching and elite level coaching. That for that moment, understand you have the attention of those players of whatever's going on in their life away from touch. Mm. They forget about it for that moment. You have so much power right there to to shape the way they think, to, to teach them things, to make them forget about all the issues that are going on at home or at work. Just for that moment in time, for that hour and a half, you've got them in the palm of your hand. Use the time wisely. Understand the power. Understand the message you're getting across and use it wisely. And, uh, and when you think about that, it's a, it's a very powerful, powerful piece of information. So um, probably those two things have really helped me to, to shape the coach I am and, and understand how I can impact on somebody's mm-hmm. life off the field. We worry about all the on-the-field stuff later, mate. That's secondary. Yeah. It's all about what you do off the field. I love it. Let's talk about uh, on the field, off the field. What are you doing now? Obviously, you've stepped away from from the top job in terms of the the HP program, I guess. But um, I'm hoping that means you've now got more time to to sort of devote to some <laughs> grassroots development, Trady. We're not losing you, are we? No. Nah, well, I'm, I'm I'm out of work. I'm unemployed. If there's any potential uh, <laughs> teams need a coach, reach out, um, mate. I'm doing a bit of work with New South Wales just as a coaching director. Yeah. Um, still coaching my module, which is West Touch. I'm actually helping a. Finally, I'm actually helping a team in Austin, Texas, if you would believe it. Nice. Some, I know some guy from Austin, Texas reached out. Because I thought it was USA Touch, so I thought, yeah, I was in, but actually not. It's just some dude that, you know, decided he wants to put a team together, uh, ex-Aussie. And I went over there um, and, oh, wow, you know, it was terrific. I went over there and ran a couple of sessions for them and you just get back to the grassroots. I mean, they're not obviously as advanced as... as us or most of the world because they're just a local team. Mm. I talk about what I just mentioned before about the power to influence people in those moments. It was just pure joy of coaching. So just a little bit of that, Pat, but I'm, you know, checking the, the unemployment guide, seeing if there's any jobs on offer for any retired touch coaches. Oh, nice. Oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, keep the uh, keep the DMs open, mate. If, it, if anyone slides an <laughs> offer into the uh, direct messages, mate, I'll let you know. Hey, uh, I just... It might, have been, it might be a cheeky question, but um, did you have a say in, in who got your job? And and if so, I mean, did you did you give give our mate the big tick of approval? Or? No, I didn't have a say in who... Phil Gaimor has is the coach. Oh, I didn't have a say, but I didn't need to. Mate, he's an outstanding coach. He was, he's been my assistant for a while. He coached North Queensland Cowboys to, I think, four, maybe four in a row, or at least four of the five uh, national touch leagues. Mate, yeah, he, he was... It was Lay down was there, really terrific guy, just a really good guy and a really good coach. Totally different to me, a lot of respect, um, but that's not a bad thing. I think you know the, the, the players. It's time now for the players and the program to take a, mm. a fresh new look. We've got three new coaches now. Well, Swain Ravelli, sorry, is um was the women's coach of the last year, so he'll be the women's coach in the next four years. So he's now the senior coach, and Phil Phil's coaching the men's. Dave Nolan's coaching the mix. I've had a bit to do with Dave Nolan, Dave Nolan as well, so. And I think they're in good hands, so no need for me to get involved in that. When you uh, when you gave them the keys to the big house, uh, did you give them any parting words, any advice? Good luck. Don't don't stuff it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. no no pressure, eh? No, no pressure. No, mate. No, I just look, man. I just told him fifteen. I said, look, it, it's your team. Um, if you need me, I'm the phone call away. Yeah, but it's your team. Put your stamp on it, and that's important. You know, he, he there's no need. There's no point. Phil coming in and trying to make 
the men's team, you know, continue down the same track. That's, you know, trying to fill my boots or whatever people want to say is ridiculous. The guy's a great coach in his own right. He does things a little bit different. Which I think it's time for something a little bit different. Yeah. You know? So uh, all Phil needs to know is that the players have got his back. I know the players fully support him. They like him. Um, I've got his back, and um, he needs to be given the space to put his own stamp on it, his own spin on it, and at the same time have the knowledge and confidence to know that if he needs just advice, um, I'm just a phone call away. I love it. I asked this question to Goody, and he's making me these uh, gourmet brioche bun hamburgers when I come over. When I come to Traddy's house, what are you cooking me for dinner? What's the go-to meal? Mate, Paddy, how are you going to survive on brioche bun hamburgers? It's because the guy is the biggest fighter. If he opened up his wallet, you'd find a dinosaur. Like, seriously, when you come to my house, my friend, you're going to get a full-on Lebanese barbecue. Lebanese barbecue? Damn straight. I'll even get my mum over to cook it. She's 80, but you can't you can't go wrong. Oh, nice. Get the big, we've got the big charcoal. So it's like a honey, but above ground, right? We've got the big charcoal barbecue. We've got the nice lamb kebab, some kafta, some chicken. We've got the big bowls of thum, which is Lebanese for garlic. Stop. Garlic sauce, Lebanese bread tabbouleh, some hummus. A bit of bubba gum noise. Why do you want to go muck around with hamburgers for, mate? Just go straight past his head to mine. You can't see it, but um, my my leg is shaking at the moment, Shreddy. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how excited I am at the... When you said bubba ganoush, mate, you had me. Uh, we'll get you over here, mate. We'll snap some photos. Send it to Goody with a wish you were here. Oh, let's make it happen. Hey, uh, hey, brother. Look, I appreciate your time on the on the old podcast today, and I really appreciate your your uh, we, in New Zealand. We say fakado, which is sort of your thoughts and your and your your feelings and and sort of your opinions. And it's been really good to get your experience. And and uh, I'm certainly certainly just uh, really blessed to have uh, shared this uh, last 45 or so minutes with you, brother. And really do appreciate your time. Oh, I love it. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. I love my friends in New Zealand. I've had so much fun over there. It's a beautiful country. Love the culture. I just absolutely love that Māori culture. And, uh, mate, some fond moments in my heart for New Zealand. So you're always welcome, mate. I'm looking forward to the bubble ganoush, brother. And um, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to the to, to catching up in person next time we uh, next time the stars align. But until then, you take care and uh, love to the family, bro. Look after yourself. Thanks, brother. Keep up the good work. Talk soon.